bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacies. Live in Word with Pastor Mensa Otterville. And now, today's word. Christian doctrine is based on Jesus and the apostles. But then, that's in the New Testament. There was something before the New Testament. So what comes next? The next thing is the law. The law, the Mosaic law. The first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And then the prophets, the major and the minor prophets. I hear there are some prophets who call themselves major prophets. But the reason why some prophets in the Bible are called major and minor is because the major prophets, not that they were more profound or more powerful, they wrote more. Their books were more. And the minor prophets, their books are smaller. So major and minor is just volume. It's not power. All right. And then on top of the prophets is what is called the writings, the book of history and the wisdom books. The book of history would be uh, books like uh, Joshua, Judges, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Ruth, Ezra, Nehemiah, the Chronicles, and so on and so forth. These are book of Esther. Uh, these are books of history, the wisdom books, the book of Job always straddles between history and, and wisdom, but wisdom book, Psalms mostly, Psalms sometimes is part prophet, but most times is wisdom, and then uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Now this is the order. So if you find something in the prophets or in the book of history that you know, David did this, or Saul did this, or Solomon did that, and it's recorded. And you want to understand, so what should I do with it? You have to come to the foundation. What did Jesus say about that? So, somebody married twice, or somebody had three wives. What does Jesus say about that? Does he say we can also marry three times? Somebody did this. What does Jesus say about it? Because until you are able to interpret scripture from the point of view of Jesus, you're going to start making errors. Except you believe something else. But if you believe in Jesus as the center and the son of God and God's last word, then he is the main person to use as your measuring line to measure every experience in the Bible. Every experience in the Bible. The way he acted, his words, and his life. And the intentions of his words and his life. If you build this foundation, you will always be protected from error. Because Jesus will be the center of your doctrine. But if you move away from this, then you can be exposed and, you know, you can develop all kinds of, I don't want to talk about every, any denomination, but um, you can get into all kinds of places and end up in all kinds of destinations. 
And one of the things that concern me is a lot of people are preaching the word of God now, which is very good. We need more people to preach. And some of them are being used profoundly by God. They have special gifts, which is great. But a lot of them are not educated, which is not too bad. Because Peter was also not that educated. Now, if you are not educated, then you have to really take time with the way you break the scripture. Because very simple grammar can twist you. You know, and, and you, can, you can jump to a conclusion based on simple grammatical error. It's not even doctrine. It's just the English has thrown you off. Not the Greek or the Hebrew. The English threw you off. So what you have to do is, once you know you are gifted of God, submit yourself to proper instruction and allow somebody to help you to ground your doctrine right so that your gift can be used within the proper context to help people and to bless them. I don't deny the gift, but I think some people are seriously mishandling the scripture. We know of a prophet, Elisha, who mishandled his power and allowed bears to kill people. He mishandled his power. So it's very easy to be anointed and mishandle the anointing. It's important to study. And study is not one verse. Study is very meticulous. I am not saying I'm the greatest student of the Bible, but I can tell you I do justice to that book. I do justice to that book. When I'm studying, all these rules are working, and I haven't even finished. All these rules are working. There's proper study of words, of language, of syntax, of text, of manuscripts, and trying to properly interpret. God has spoken. What did he say? And what does it mean now? Arriving at that conclusion is not always easy. But that is the work of a worker of the Bible, of a student of God, and a man of God, or a woman of God. It's not just about preaching and shouting and sweating and screaming. It's rightly dividing the word of truth. Otherwise, we may see the power of God, but never know God. Because it is only in proper scriptural teaching that we get to know God. But in miracles, we see his works. The Bible says concerning Israel that Moses knew the ways of God. Israel only knew the acts of God. No wonder they couldn't believe simple instructions because they only saw his works but never knew him. All right, let me conclude with this. And if I rush, don't be worried. Um, these are things that should have taken me a long time to teach, but I'm just giving you highlights, and I trust that you'll go and explore them further. I'm going to give you eight guides or guidelines for interpreting the scriptures. Eight guidelines for interpreting scriptures. Those of you who are Bible school students, take it seriously. Covenant family leaders who teach people, take this seriously. Everybody, if you lead Bible study,
take this seriously. The first thing that I would mention in these eight guidelines is the meaning of words. What is the meaning of the word in the original language? It's good to know the meaning in English. But remember, the English Bible was translated from another language. So you have to go to the mean. Now, it, you don't have to go and study Greek and Hebrew to know that just get a good strong concordance or get a, a, a good crudence concordance or vines concordance, uh, expository words. And, and it will just give you basic understanding what this word means in the Greek and, and uh, how it is used in the Greek or in the Hebrew. Very simple, get those appropriate tools. Every student of the Bible must have a Bible and uh, at least a strong concordance. But if you want to go further, there are a lot of good softwares that will give you some of those things. Some of them are free and you can get them on your iPad and on your laptop and so on and study words. But meaning of words is very, very important. Not only in the English, but in the original language. Second is usage of words. Usage of words is very important. In what ways is the word, are the words used? Precedence. When was it first used, first mentioned? In subsequent mentions, how has the word meant when it is used? Grammar, syntax, how are the words arranged? Textual issues, which manuscript is it? No, that's too far for you. Uh, let's stay with syntax. All right. How are the words arranged? The structure of the sentence is very important. Usage of words, usage of words. Not just that word you are reading in that verse, but how has it been used in the scripture throughout? And what does it mean when it is used in those uh, passages? Third is context. Context is the, the, the surroundings of that verse. Immediate context, the author's context, the document's context, the author. What world was he living in? And the world he lived in, when he used this word, what did it mean at that time? Not what does it mean today, but what did it mean at that time? Fourth, historical setting. Historical setting. The situation at the time that particular word came. Was it at a time of war, a time of farming? Was Israel in apostasy when the word came? Was it restored? What was happening at the time? So when the, the word was coming, what was it speaking to? The historical setting is very, very important. The writers of the Bible saw history as God at work amongst men. And you have to see the Bible from that. God is working through the history of men to reveal himself. Number five, form of literature. I know some of you are saying, Pastor, you're making the thing too hard. You're making it too hard. I just want a word from God. This is how you get it. <laughs> That's how you get a word from God. You can get your nice verses to inspire you, but if you really want to know the counsel of God, there's no easy way. You have to go the hard way. Form of literature. That means that the, the way it is written, is it a historical account? Is it legislation? Is it poetry? Is it a parable? Because each one is interpreted differently. When Jesus tells a parable, he's using a story to teach a principle. Now you have to understand that the important thing is not the parable. 
important thing is what he's teaching out of it. Otherwise, you get so fixed on the parable, you don't even know that he's using it just to convey a message. What you're drawing out is not the parable itself, but the principle he taught out of the parable. So you have to know that when you're studying stories, there's a different way to study it. When you're studying the Psalms, Proverbs, pro uh, poetry, there's a different way to study it. Logic. How does it flow? How systematic is it? Is it logical? Is it logical? And the seventh one flows into logic. Necessary inference. So what is that word? Necessary inference simply means that you interpret unclear passages in the scripture in the light of the clear. So if I'm studying a passage and, and th th there is something, for example, you read Jesus went to the marriage at Cana and he turned water into wine. So does it mean I should boost? Now you're not sure. So somebody will say, well, but, but the wine was not alcoholic. Some people say it was boozing. All right. Now, it's unclear. It's unclear. We don't know. So how do I interpret that? I have to go to clear passages on alcohol. What has the Bible clearly said about alcohol consumption? It is when I have established the clear that I can now interpret what is unclear to me. So that is what is called necessary inference. You, 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 you are using the known to help you understand the unknown. Necessary inference. And there are many passages in the Bible which you read and you are not clear. And if you are not clear, you go to passages that speak clearly about those subjects and then from there you try to understand what you don't understand. Even at this level, there are passages in the Bible that still confuse me. Many, 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 many. I don't have all the answers, but I still plod on because that's what learning, that's why every day you, you, you read the Bible, you find something new, you, you discover something new because it's a continuous learning experience. You will never understand everything at one go. But you start from what you know and then by necessary inference, you look at the things which are not clear to you. And number eight, the final one, that you have to interpret scripture through the harmony of scripture. When we say harmony, it means that all scripture is together. Scripture must interpret scripture. All scripture is one. The Bible does not contradict itself. It explains itself. You have to understand the harmony of scripture. You must understand how uh, the covenants of God with man. We must understand dispensations. I don't want to go too much into that. And above all, we must understand that everything is about Jesus. Everything is about him. The Old Testament prophecies, the sacrifices, everything is a picture of Jesus. So when I am confronted with a passage what I try to do is to use these principles to gradually make sense of that passage. If you follow these rules, does it mean every time you read the Bible you understand everything? No. Because you grow in understanding. You mature in understanding. It's taken me a lot of time to be where I am, but there are people who are way better than me. And I have to read 
their, their writings to make sense of things I don't understand because they've studied a lot better than me. And just because somebody has studied a lot better than you doesn't mean what he has said is true. So you have to have mechanisms for balancing what you read from others. So you don't read somebody's commentary and say, well, this is how it is. No, that's his commentary. You read it, you read every commentary. Normally by the time I preach, I would have read minimum 20 different commentaries on that passage. 20 different. I read several authorities and what each one of them have said and then I, I try to work my way through to determine what is my approach and what is right. It's not always easy, but it's safe. It's safe. So you don't pick the Bible and say, I have a word. This is what God said. It's in your Bible. Read it black and white. Is it there? <laughs> you know, sometimes you see all those wayside preachers who stand in the marketplace. And they say, it's in your Bible. And then you know, normally they have a reader by them. Read it. And the person reads it. And they say, is it there? Yes. Is it in the Bible? Yes. And he tells the people, ah, didn't I tell you it's in the Bible? And because the people don't know how to rightly divide the word of God, they say, hey, yeah. Bible in some So don't get deceived. It's in the Bible, but it has to be rightly divided. It has to be rightly divided. You have to set it out well, and you have to balance it. And I hope that the next time you, you look at your Bible and confront it, you will receive something great. You will hear from God, and God will speak to you. God bless you.